Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Shannon Smith Shooting Show Podcast, Episode 7. Appreciate you guys joining us as always. Uh, I'll be relatively quick one on this episode, I think. The last one was a little bit long, and uh next one's going to be a little bit long as well, which I'll pimp a little bit for you as I go along. Uh, we're here on Wednesday after uh, the U.S. IPSC Nationals this past weekend, so quick recap on that. Uh, match went pretty well. Um kind of wearing two hats in uh, these next couple of matches uh, because they're hosted uh, here at Universal Shooting Academy, which is my main gig. So I'm, uh, especially with the IPSC match, was in charge of putting it on pretty much soup to nuts, although I had a a ton of help, uh, and as well as trying to compete. As I've mentioned, my big goal for the year is making the world shoot team in, in open division, and this is one of the qualifier matches, which is a pretty important match for me. However, the main focus is making sure the match runs well, as that's what we do here at USA, and that's my primary job. And from that aspect, I was very happy with it. I felt like uh, I was a little bit behind getting prepped for it, but that's kind of the way I always feel. So I don't know if I just work well under pressure and put myself there, or uh, I'm just a procrastinator, or we're just always running late because there's so much stuff going on, and it's probably somewhere in the middle there, but... The stages came together great. I was super happy uh, with the layout. The presentation worked well. I thought it was a good challenge. Uh, the IPSC, the U.S. IPSC Nationals has always been a bit of more what I what I would call a technical match in terms of difficulty of shots, difficulty of positions, and uh, I think this match uh, held true to that. And it's you know in terms of being a qualifier for picking the teams is one thing, but also it's a little bit of a primer for that was going to the world shoot, and uh, if uh, a lot of the the U.S. shooters haven't shot internationally very much, and I would fall in that category as well. I've only shot a couple. Uh, it's it's a different flavor on the international matches than what we see here in our typical USPSA match. So we try to give them a little piece of that as well. I was fortunate to finish second overall at open division behind Max. I feel like I shot pretty well. Uh, percentage was uh, 94.8 or something, which that's not spectacular. I wish it had been a 96 or 98 but I feel like I shot I shot pretty good one one penalty on the match I clipped a no shoot so I was uh I was happy with that and uh it put me in a good spot for the team qualifier points moved me into third third position from fourth which is not a done deal because our final qualifier here coming up in uh just a week is the U.S. uh, USPSA Nationals the Open Nationals uh that'll be the last qualifier which will solidify the the team points so not done yet but i moved myself up spot and that's about all you can do is uh shoot well uh, weather was pretty awesome for ipsc nationals i'd have to really sit and think about it but i'm not sure we've had a 100 percent dry ipsic national since they've been hosted here at, at usa a little warm for our our northern friends but uh typical florida heat for august september time frame down here so no big deal for me so super happy with that. Thanks a ton for all the folks that helped out. Dave Jenkins helped with the the stage design and the build. Range Masters, Mark Weir, Mike Carhar were were um, great working the match. Uh, no real complications that I've heard of yet. I usually get 
emails of uh, stuff that went on that I might not have known about during the match, but haven't heard anything yet. Trent, uh, Trent Sharon, my buddy, helped out with the stats, uh, helped out. He ran the stats, ran the IT. We scored on the tablets. Wi-Fi at the range was working great. Uh, thanks to Jake Horn helping that out. So all went, uh, all went great. Uh, so hopefully you guys can make the next one. Uh, you know, if you've never shot an IPSC match, it's a little bit different flavor. And uh, if you're a competitive shooter, it's always good to broaden your horizons and, and uh, check something else out. A little bit of news topic. You guys may have heard already by the time this gets out. Uh, a guy by the name of Jason Falconer stopped the, the terrorist stabbing event uh, that went on. And by all accounts, he was a, um, a USPSA shooter and uh, a three-gun shooter which is interesting in a little bit of my my research um the like the main news sites cnn and and whatnot uh, i guess he was also a um uh reserve police officer maybe and this was in the the minnesota mall uh, stabbing deal uh, so all the main news sites are saying that uh reserve or off-duty officer stopped this stopped the shooting and well, that's not untrue. <clears throat> None of them have brought up the fact that he was a uh, USPSA and/or three-gun competitor. It was the the uh, more firearm-specific sites or the competition sites that that brought that to light. So I don't know the guy. I'm not going to pretend like I know a whole lot about the story. Just what I've read on uh, some of the internet stories, but just goes to show you that uh, being a better shooter, probably from competition, I would. I'll take a stab in the dark here and say that he's a, a good shot because he's a competition shooter, not a good shot because he's an off-duty police officer. And that's just been my experience from, from what I've seen over 20 years of shooting. So a big congrats to him, and uh, hopefully I'll learn more about the story and maybe bring bring more to you guys as I, as I learn more. Brings me a little bit into kind of the main thing I want to talk to today. We've been on competition for a while, get a little bit more into the, the self-defense tactical world. The story I'm, I'm sure you've heard about is the FBI is switching to the Glock 7. Well, I guess it's not even the 17 anymore, but they're switching to a, a Glock 9 millimeter, moving back from the 40 caliber. And they went um, to the 40, the Glock 40, 22 in I think uh, late 90s, 97 maybe. It was it was a bit after the the, the famed Miami shootout, but that was supposedly the catalyst that had them switching calibers they didn't feel their nine millimeter or 38 at the time were were up to snuff and uh you know everybody always kind of follows what the fbi does everybody being uh, local law enforcement and other government law enforcement agencies uh, fbi went to 10 millimeter there for a while so everybody jumped on that bandwagon and it makes all the covers of the magazines uh went to 40 once they realized that nobody in their right mind can shoot a 10, 10 millimeter went to the 40 caliber been there for a long time and you know most all law enforcement agencies that I'm aware of have uh, have gone to the 40 caliber largely I'm sure because of that decision and then now you're starting to see a big a big swing big swing back to the nine millimeter and I think uh, that's for a few reasons uh, the the ammo technology has certainly gotten a lot better in the last 20 or 30 years so a nine millimeter of today in terms of ballistic capability of the round is not what a 9mm may have been uh, 20 years ago. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing, and obviously my opinion, but that's what you're paying for on this free podcast, 
the, the big thing is shootability. And it's, it's difficult to shoot a high caliber handgun. I mean, as cool as it, as it is to shoot a 44 or a 10 millimeter or a, a 357, they really, really suck to shoot. And if you've ever shot uh, very much of them, you're aware of that. You know, I, I when I was young and cool, I, I carried a uh, Smith & Wesson J-frame, you know, snub nose in 357. And I shot about five rounds of that and realized, well, that was horrible. So I switched to the 38 round uh, in that in that gun. And you look at the, even to this day, I think, as far as I know, the um, the Federal Air Marshals are still with 357 SIG. Probably the worst round ever invented uh, in terms of shootability. I know when, when they stood up uh, after 9-11, and by stood up I mean they, they revamped their program and hired a, hired a ton of officers, and you know they used to have one of the famed, uh, most they being the Air Marshals, one of the famed most difficult qualification standards of all law enforcement. Uh, and, of course, they, they dumbed that down quite a bit when they had to hire all the new officers because the, the standard wasn't attainable. So typical government fashion, if you can't meet the standard, you lower it. Uh, but they were, I don't know if they were uh, officially under the Secret Service at the time, but they were, you know, kind of unofficially followed what the Secret Service did. Uh, at the time, they were carrying a, a 357 SIG, from what I understand, so that's what they went with. And as far as I know, they're they're still with that today. I again, I don't I don't research a lot on this show. I shoot from the cuff, so if I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody will bring it up. But I know they I know they were for sure at one point, and. You know, if you ever need a critical first shot, it's on a tube target uh, inside of an airplane. So if now you, you've got a double action uh, on, a, on a SIG 226 or, or similar, uh, and it's in 357 SIG. So, you know, very difficult round to master and very difficult trigger control, trigger pull to control on the first shot. But, you know, that's what they had to deal with, so, so they work with it. But I think folks are coming around that... Um, you know, the, the one-shot stop that was written about on a monthly basis in every gun magazine forever from 85 to 90 to 99 is kind of a myth. You know, very rarely, and I certainly wouldn't recommend as a self-defense instructor that you fire one, fire one round and then chill out and see what's going to happen. You know, most people um, teach and general school of thought as you deliver rounds on target until... The threat is no longer until the guy's not scaring anymore, until he's fallen down, blown up, disappeared, whatever. So if you know if if you're buying to that, if you're in agreement to that, then we're probably going to agree that we want multiple rounds on target. Uh, and if you buy into that, then multiple rounds on target. Why wouldn't you want a more controllable, more controllable, more reasonable round to shoot? Hence, why I think you see a lot of uh, departments going back to nine millimeter. And then you factor in the uh, smaller frame dudes or, or the female officers uh, that don't have as big a hands, don't have the muscle structure, and none of them have the, the background in shooting required to control those those uh, higher caliber rounds. It just makes it easier to shoot. Uh, you know, I assume most of you guys listening to me are shooters, so this is not news to you. But to use the example of extremes from a scientific standpoint, if you know, go out to the range and put 10 rounds on target at 10 yards with a 22 and then do it with a 44 Magnum and tell me, you know, which is easier to control. Obvious answer there, but that's why that's why you see a lot of folks going back to the 9 mil. Much easier to control, 
much easier to shoot. And easier to shoot means you have a better chance of hitting your target, which is the biggest problem you see in, in law enforcement shootings. And, you know, I've never been in a pistol shootout at a, at a 20-foot range or a, or a 15-yard range. Uh, so I imagine it's, I reckon it's kind of difficult. But if you have a you know, 40 caliber, 357 SIG, 10 mil, 45, it's going to be much more difficult. Uh, and, and with the advent today of cameras everywhere, you see a lot more dash cam footage and shootout footage today than you ever did before. And it's plain as day. I and mean, you can see the rounds impacting the dirt or the concrete 10 feet low left of the target that they're shooting at. And that's simply a product of a crappy gun, crappy trigger pull, and high caliber round that's causing anticipation. So I certainly applaud the the move, and I uh, hope the FBI does well with it. And I think you'll you'll see that trickle around to to all the government agencies as well as you know, trickle down to law enforcement as time goes, because they tend to follow. You know, they tend to follow what the FBI does. They're kind of the the king dog in terms of the 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 law enforcement world, and a lot of people tend to follow what they do. A lot of the topics I think you're going to see in this podcast as I'm, as I'm getting more into it now is they're, they're going to be recurring, which is fine with me. Um, my standard, if you, if you train with me, or even better, when you train with me, you'll understand that I'm a, a fundamentals guy. Um, I'm a dumb redneck from West Virginia, and you know the KISS principle, and we've talked about that before here, uh, it's fundamentals and marksmanship, sight picture and trigger, trigger squeeze. That's what it takes to be successful on the competition circuit. That's what it takes to be successful in the tactical world if your goal is to hit your target. You've got to execute proper fundamentals in order to put rounds on target. And if you put rounds on target, I don't really care what the caliber is. I think you're going to be successful. And goes back to we talked a couple episodes ago about what I carry. You know, I, 99.9% of the time, I carry a 380, the Glock 42. Um, before that it was the LCP, but I'm real happy with the Glock now. The, the sights are better, better, the trigger's better. Uh, the grip's pretty solid. I, mean, I, can get, I can get a pretty decent grip on the gun uh, for it being a smaller gun. And I can shoot it, and I can get rounds on target. Um, if I knew I were going to into a gunfight, number one, I wouldn't go. Number two, I'd take a rifle. So, you know, I, my normal day-to-day life, I'm just a dude going to and from work, I stop at the gas station, get a Gatorade, uh, mate stop at Home Depot to get some supplies for work. But, you know, I'm, I'm not law enforcement guy going into a drug house. I'm not a military guy going into Afghanistan. So, I, you know, I'm not going expecting a gunfight. As the old saying goes, if, if I was expecting a gunfight, I'd, I'd carry a rifle. But I think it really comes back to putting rounds on target. And should something happen, like this mall situation, I don't know. I haven't researched enough on the story or even seen if it's come out. I don't know how far how far away uh, he was from the guy. Um, the guy was stabbing people, so that makes life a little nicer. He's not shooting people or blowing people up. Uh, so you're not quite as nervous about getting closer if he's got a knife versus a gun. But nonetheless, you've got to hit rounds on target. Now you look at a mall situation. Again, I don't know how many people are around, but you you need to be pretty confident that you can hit what you're aiming at. You especially look at that, a congested area, you know, a miss could be could carry serious, serious consequences. So not only do you need to take that into account before you decide to engage, but you need to take that into account in order to be able to in order to be able to hit targets. 
Uh, and that, that's why I'm comfortable uh, with a 380. I mean, I've got I've got bigger guns with that are uh, not too far away that I can get to as they again to steal no quote an old quote, but we use the the pistol solely to fight our way back to the rifle. So a yeah, bigger gun or a rifle is never too far away, and uh, the big thing is having having a gun, having the mindset, being prepared. And I know I've touched on this before, but you know, living here in Florida, it's not exactly easy to carry a to carry a massive gun with you at all at all times. I'm not saying it's not impossible, but it ain't easy. And depending on what you do for a living, what you what you wear, where you go, uh, all those things have to be uh, brought into the equation in, in order to determine what you're going to carry. And the big thing with me is a have a gun with you. Uh, most importantly, have the mindset, situational awareness, and be prepared. And hopefully, uh, you can hit what you're aiming at with the gun that you're that you're toting around. I'm gonna jump into some some shooting questions. Again, a little bit of rehash, but uh, Corey asked from uh, email. Uh, enjoyed your podcast. Encouragement, focusing on the basics. I don't have a ton of time or, or finances to train as I would like. However, I do what I can at the range. I'm new to IDPA. Uh, I've started dry fire. Would like to know more about the practice and activities you mentioned in your podcast for trigger control and other basics that are important. So a good question, and again, that's going to continue to come up. And uh, I'd have no problem rehashing it when I go out and practice like I did today and like I did yesterday. I, you know, I practice the same thing for the last 15 years you know to me it's it's fundamentals of marksmanship sight picture trigger control the better your trigger control is the faster you can pull the trigger the faster you can pull the trigger the faster you can shoot and that's what we're looking for speed and accuracy so to answer the question um you know i look at uh, the frank garcia dot drills are good uh, good old bullseye drills are good it depends on the resources you have at, at, at where you shoot if you're limited to an indoor range, for example, where maybe you can't rapid fire, maybe you can't draw from the holster, there's nothing wrong with good old bullseye shooting. You know, put a put a 12 cent bullseye target that you can buy from the range out there at uh, 25 yards or 15 yards or whatever you can get at the, at the range, and just work on trigger control. There's nothing wrong with it being able to, to punch a hole in the middle. Now, if you're shooting at that pace at that bullseye pace, it needs to be a pretty small hole in the middle. You know, that's not hitting a bunch of uh, a bunch of eight rings and, and thinking you're doing the job. But you also have to be able to work on speed at some point. So you're going to have to either do it through competition or if you have a range that allow you to do more rapid-fire type drills. Um, the Ron Avery bar drill was one I've, I've used a lot and modified a little bit for my classes that works on uh, continuing to work on, a, on trigger control but working on it at speed. Um Changing gears, changing gears drill. We teach a lot at our at our course, but again, you've got to have some resources there. We like to use a plate rack for it. Although you could do it with a with a bullseye style target, just not quite as effective. But you're working on changing that speed from a relatively close, fast target to relatively far, difficult target. And again, relatively is the key word there. You know, you you can make a ten yard target very difficult. Uh, you can make a 10-yard target, very easy. So it depends on we know what kind of target area you have available uh, as turn, as, in terms of how you're going to work the drill. And same thing in dry fire. Uh, dry fire, a huge proponent of that. 
especially for the newer shooter. Uh, I don't do it as much as I would like these days, but I still dry fire almost every day for even if it's for three minutes. You know, it's just a matter of picking up the gun, getting a couple trigger uh, trigger pulls, seeing that hammer fall, seeing that sight picture, seeing that dot. Um, I have a big problem of opening my gun safe and not grabbing three or four guns and getting a couple presentations with them. I, I just did it today, and I was in a hurry to get out of work. Um, had a class, had some range prep going on for, for upcoming USPSA Nationals. Um, I was shooting both my open guns during class, and I don't like to leave eight or $10,000 guns laying around, so I was putting them back in the safe. Well, now the safe's open, so of course I, I grabbed the Glock and had a couple of dry fires, put that back, grabbed the, the single stack, which I haven't touched in six months couple of dry fires, set that down, Benelli shotgun sitting there. I learned a new mount the other day, which I'll maybe talk about later, but in the always learning technique. I suck at shooting the shotgun, but I had a massive error of enlightenment the other day uh, on how I mount the shotgun. So I did a couple of those. And so again, dry fire doesn't have to be a long, laborious process, just a matter of, you know, what, what time do you have to put into it? You know, I had two minutes and I dry fired four guns inside of two minutes, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but that's the way it worked out. And the big thing with the dry fire, as you've heard me say before, is just you and Jesus in the room. So you're the only one that knows if you're doing it correctly or not. And if you're not doing it correctly, then it, you're just you're just wasting your time. Uh, you know, don't go in there for, for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, and say, oh, yay, me, I dry fired. You've got to see that sight or see that dot on every trigger pull and ensure that you are pulling the trigger correctly and that would have been a good shot, and that the follow-up shot's going to be good. You're still seeing that sight work. Obviously, you're not getting the you're not getting the recoil. You're not getting the tracking of the sight. But as you execute the trigger control, you're seeing that the sight's not moving off target. It's not dumping down to the carpet. It's you know it's, it's not going away. That's the that's the value in dry fire. Yeah, you got some gun handling. You got transitions. You got mag changes. There, there's all you can work out a lot of aspects in dry fire. But the big thing it, for me and, and everything is trigger control. When I when I execute that trigger pull to the rear, I'm watching that sight, and it's not moving off target, or at least not moving off, you know, not moving off the uh, acceptable scoring zone of what we're looking for. So I hope that answers your question, Corey. Uh, if it doesn't, hit me up again, get more specific, and I'll, I'll hit on it some more. Uh, I'm going to miss our, our gear segment this week. I've got a couple things to talk about there, but I'll, I'll hit that next time. Uh, we have the USPSA National Championships, hand, or I should say the USPSA Handgun Nationals, to be more correct, coming up at our range here next week. The uh, first match is going to be uh, limited division. Second match is going to be open and limited 10. So it's a week-long event out here at USA. If you're local to the area and, and haven't hit a lot of competitions, I would certainly recommend coming out and uh, checking this one out. There'll be a lot of vendors out there. You can look at some cool stuff. All the best shooters in the world will be there. Uh, you can see how it's done. If you're a competitor, uh, we're still going to have some slots in the, in the match available. Uh, check on the website. Uh, open registration, I think, is still open. If not, shoot me an email, and we'll figure out a way to get you in there. And then our next episode uh, is going to be, I know this one's a little quickie. The next one's going to be even quicker. I've got uh, Dave Jenkins back again. He was with us for our, our last podcast, as I'm sure you know. He's the... Uh, I guess he's technically the assistant master director, but for all intents and purposes, he's the master director for the USPSA Nationals. 
we've already got this episode in the can. We recorded it uh, last week. Uh, it's a pretty good episode, a little bit longer, but covers a lot of his insight into designing stages for the Nationals and you know what it takes behind the scenes to put on a national championship as well as uh, hitting a couple of your questions. So thanks a lot for joining us, guys. Uh, be safe out there and get some time on the range. And I uh, hope you tune back in. See you.